A perception theory claims that there are certain texts, be they words, images, or musical phrases, that have been so abused that their original meaning is unrecoverable. Perception theorists point to two prime examples, the songs of the band U2 and the word joy. Happy third Sunday of Advent. Oh, yeah. But you know, if you don't feel happy, that's okay too, because it's kind of gloomy out. But yeah. We're glad you're here one way or the other. Um, if you wonder what the order of service is, there is a uh, QR code you can use in the back of the hymnal to find that, and there's also the order of service in the hymnal, actually. Yeah, that QR code will take you, to, and it'll uh, show you what songs we're singing, what pages they're on, the, uh, what. Although there's horoscopes, I think, too. Oh, there. wow, I didn't yeah. know about the horoscopes. Yeah. Good to know. Um, you definitely don't want to miss next Sunday because that's the Sunday of the House of Mercy Christmas pageant. Oh, that's a good one always. And I've read it. It is funny. It is moving. And I'm sure the acting is going to be amazing. So yeah. come next Sunday. Uh, bring your family and friends for the original scripted House of Mercy Christmas pageant. Yeah, and um, if you are, you know, normally listen to us on the radio or watch us, on the TV, you can uh, and tell all your friends uh, next week, tune in. You can just go to the website and click the live stream. All the grandmas and the grandpas and the uh, nieces and nephews, I don't know, everybody can watch it. They don't even have to be related. Wow, yeah. anyone. Yeah, live, live feed they call it, I think. Cool. Yeah. Oh, and if you were wondering if there's gonna be Christmas service, there is. It's gonna be on Christmas day, regular time, 4.30. If you want to come to a service on Christmas Eve, Bethlehem is having one here at 1 p.m. So Christmas Eve, 1 p.m. here, same time, Christmas Day as usual. All right, and as you know, we are um, deep into our pledge drive. Uh, what we have uh, heard from our, um, what would you call them, people who know about money, uh, is that, you know, if everyone who's pledged right now increased their pledge by $34 a month, the uh, chasm that opened up during the COVID times in our budget would be instantly taken care of. And so if you do want to increase your pledge, your pledge for the first time, there's cards in the back there or you can go to the website. And then, you know, you get for that $34 extra of that first time pledge, you get a lot. You get a hat? You get a Peace Star hat, new design. Everybody, I've seen them out and about in the streets. It's, everybody's wearing them. And uh, you, get a, you get a mug. Old diner mug, House of Mercy recordings mug, and then a Peace Star sticker. It's so like, you know, it's practically already Christmas. It's like $34 gets a lot. $34 gets a lot. $34 gets a lot. God is good and hell is hot. $34 gets a lot. You know, I forgot to say one thing about the Christmas pageant. I wrote down my announcements, but I have arrows everywhere. I just can't even follow. But kids should be here at 345. That's right, Ann yep. Britt, right? 345. 345 for costumes and stuff. So. All right. If you have any questions, talk to Ann Britt. Mm -hmm. Good. This is the House of Mercy, and welcome to it. Our guest artist today is a man of many talents.
from bass guitar, upright, electric, fretless, electric guitar, acoustic guitar. Is it is your fabric skills weaving? Weaving. weaving educating mathematics. But uh, the thing that that I most think of him as is the inventor of the term, what was it for the barista? Eucharistic barista. Eucharistic barista. So that's why you feel holier every time you're at Starbucks. It's because of our guest artists. Please join us in giving him a warm house of mercy welcome, Mr. Mike Schultz. I really didn't think that's what I'd end up famous for, but... This is uh, this is forgotten instrument night. Um, neither this or the bass have been played in a few years, so um, it'll be interesting. About um, well, almost 20 years ago today, uh, 19 years ago last week, I um, I stopped drinking, and that was a good thing. Um, it was also urged that I might want to do that by a judge, but um, I, I had written a song earlier, bef before that time, um, just feeling like something's got to give. My life is messed up. Something's wrong here, and something's got to change, and... Um, and then what I thought was uh, a month later, I, I ended up getting a DWI and, and quitting. The funny thing was that a little while later, I found the lyrics that I had written in a notebook, and I had written it three years earlier. And someone asked me once, you know, well, would, would you have stopped if, if you had got pulled over? I was like, well, the three years went really fast. And I suspect another 10 would have gone by too. Anyway, this is the song. Well, I don't know when, I don't know how, I gotta be soon, but it can't be now. Gotta change my life before I lose it all. Even holy angels crawl when the colors start to fall. Well, I don't know how I fell this way. A million slips. One reckless day Did I just get tired And throw away the truth What was it made me run from view And turn my eyes from you God would you tell me what I used to be The years have left me dry now I'm thinking about the colors gone When I traded of my time 
to the boy I was, met the man I am. Would he respect the years and not give a damn? Would he see the path? Would he understand the ways I did or didn't take to get to where I am? God, would you show me what I used to see? The tears have left me blind. Now I'm thinking about the colors gone. And when I traded of my time. God, would you show me what I used to be? The years have left me dry. Now I'm thinking about the colors gone. When I traded of my time. Thank you. I'm going to do one other song that's a lot happier to make up for that. thinking about this song lately um, because of the the sermons that have that I've heard in the last month or two just something about make your own joy in the midst of difficulty I don't know there was a princess walking by the shore and he, she watched as a snail just folded up its door And she wondered to herself that if God was in his place He'd never let that snail hide itself from her face And so she carried herself to the pier and she watched as a fisherman was loading up his gear. He ignored her, and she knew that if God was in his home, he'd never let that fisherman leave her all alone. So then God himself came to her side And he said, my dear, would you have me change the tide For you, but not for the ones who use it best I'm sorry, but you'll have to find your own happiness 
So she went out and built herself a home And she planted her flowers many in a row And met a good man and let him in Then she closed her door with a whispered amen Thank you. I'll, I'll bring this out again in a few years. The scripture reading for tonight is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verses 24 through 37. But in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey, when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or at dawn. Or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. The word of the Lord. This is uh, week three of Advent. And uh, week... Three, they, there's a theme for each week, and this week's theme is joy. So we've been trying to integrate these themes into the sermon. Some are easier than others. Um, but this is also week three of our, where we've dedicated the entire liturgical year to uh, it's the year of spiritual practice. And the reason we felt like we really wanted this or needed this because, uh, you know, the world got off kilter. Um, 
That sounds like some politician not wanting to take responsibility for what happened. Uh, mistakes were made by the world. Um, but we thought instead of just, you know, and it seems like the, wor the world has not righted itself uh, yet. There's always new surprising darknesses uh, we run into. And we thought instead of just um, reacting to the way this world is, um, we thought it would be better to, to uh, build a practice that uh, prepares us uh, to be in this world and not to be controlled or confronted um, by the way the world works and instead to pursue through our spiritual practice, meditation, whatever we do, to pursue this other way, this uh, other, other way, I guess is how James Allison puts it. The kingdom of God is how Jesus puts it sometime. So that's the practice. Okay, I don't know how much you guys are into perception theory. It's sort of a sub-genre of postmodern philosophy and literary criticism. And uh, it basically is about how you can talk about things that used to be alive that are now dead. Uh, words, ideas, uh, like I mentioned, the music of U2, that they're just so, it's just so abused and so culturally saturated and used in, you know, I think, I think once something is used in more than, I don't know, 14 car commercials, it's, it's unrecoverable. It's original meaning is unrecoverable. And so when I find myself with this word joy, I mean, I don't completely agree with the perception theorists. I mean, they're famously sort of a sour bunch. Um, but it does seem to me this word joy is hard for me to recover. I know some of you probably do. You, gotta, you probably you have a sign in your house that says it, and you just actually feel real joy, whatever that is. It's unrecoverable for me. Um, that's great. But for me, joy is a... Uh, you know, I, so I looked up... Definitions, I thought. Maybe I'll just, I'm not, you know, I can recover it from, you know, if you can't get recover it from the Oxford uh, English Dictionary. Oh, I guess that is the language that supported all of uh, the invention of, uh, you know, worldwide imperialism and whatever. So maybe that's not good. But I looked it up, you know, dictionary.com, okay? Let's be honest with you. I never looked at the Oxford English Dictionary. It was always dictionary.com. But... Um, it did not help at all. It just was like as saccharine as I expected it to be. So um, I just really started thinking about how we have this tradition. We have this tradition. It's, you know, 2,000 years old, and now that is built on the tradition of the, the, uh, the Hebrew tradition. So what do we do with a tradition that many parts of it appear to be dead to us? And how did it get that way, and what can we do? Uh, give up? Some people are suggesting, you know, the whole thing, you know, like, just give up the whole Christmas thing. Let's give it to the culture, whatever it is, that strangles it and sells it and whatever. Um, 
But I don't think that we'd run out of things in Christianity if we just gave up every part of it that has been abused and commercialized and um, controlled. So there's got to be some way we can recover these things, uh, their original meanings, to not just, you know, intellectually, but words that these, these words, these concepts had real life in them, real life that affected us. Um, man, I love that first U2 record. I mean, I just put it on now and it's like silent. I can't even, I don't even know. Um, so there's gotta be a way. And so I started thinking, you know, I remember when we talked about, I sort of touched on this last week a little bit, like idol worship. And I think that's like, and I talked about how idols are dead things. And if we are gonna have any spiritual practice, we need to first start out in that practice by identifying what these idols are. Identifying what it is in front of us that we love that is dead and to remove that. So I thought about how we take these things that are alive and culture us, writers, uh, I don't know, apps, whatever they are, they, they, they stretch these things out to be used the way that, that, that we want them to be used and enjoy where they, where they squish them down and manipulate them to make them be. We move them around and do it until we control this thing. But in order to control these concepts, to use them for our will, well, they can't be alive anymore. Because something with that kind of life in it, the life I'm talking about, is uncontrollable. You can be in relationship with it, you can interact with it, uh, but you cannot control it. Because when you control that thing, that dead thing, you turn it into that puppet, you know? Everybody's seen that puppet of joy and somehow you're supposed to put that puppet smile on your face when that joy comes up. Yeah, you gotta kill it to control it. And we wanna control it because, I don't know, man, we just, that's how we, that's how we work with most things. So that's an, something that is dead that we wanna control, that we worship, is an idol. That's the definition of it. So we've been thinking about idols and I was thinking about it because idolatry, idol worship is really kind of a lot about how humans operate. It's kind of the way the Bible talks about the way humans operate through idolatry. Because idol making is that process of taking things that are living and setting them up in the place of things that are alive and uh, and killing them, and worshiping them. Um, it's taking something that's been dead, that is already dead, that is recognizably dead, and because it's much more easier than being in relationship with a living, uncontrollable thing, it's taking that dead thing and holding that up. That's what we call the truth, or power, or joy. So the ability to measure the worth of one of these concepts So this process occurs of uh, idol making most profoundly when it comes to interacting with God. I mean, you have it right from the beginning. The whole book starts out with this, right? The first instance of this idol making, killing and controlling that which is alive, is the story of Adam and Eve, the first humans. They live in this radically intimate relationship with God. 
and they choose away from that relationship, like almost right away. They prefer instead to eat the fruit of this tree that will give them knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil, it says. Um, thereby giving them, when they get this knowledge of good and evil, they, they get this measure. They feel they have this knowledge gives them the ability to measure and judge themselves and everybody else on the good and evil spectrum. They know, they have the rules, it's been given to them. They can tell, they can look in the book, see if that thing is good or it's evil. They can judge it. Now, I mean, I, I feel these, these beautiful, naive, newly created beings formed in the image of their creator, they internalize this set of rules and they assume that since the creator made this knowledge, and they have the same power now as the creator to declare what is good and what is bad, what's naughty and what's nice, that they have gained some kind of this, some kind of, I don't know, ability to act as that deity. They come to believe that this knowledge that they have now, they can rank themselves, judge their own actions, uh, and they can judge any other creature's actions as well on the good and evil scale. So if you have the same, if you have this knowledge of what's good and evil, then you can make really conclusions based on these rules. And what they do is they assume it's the same conclusions that God would make, given that it's this knowledge that, that they have the same knowledge that God is. But see, what they don't understand, and it's... Um, you don't blame them because they just got created. They're just right there in the beginning of the book. What they don't understand is that, that whatever that knowledge of good and evil might be, or whatever that knowledge of good and evil might be used for, God does not use this knowledge of good and evil to judge creation. Not even the apple-stealing, fig-leaf-wearing, garden-dwelling human creation. That's not what God does with it. I don't know what it is or what God does with it, but God does not have a rule book like that. So this ability to measure their worth based on this knowledge that they applied to their behaviors and their belief, well, it's taking something that grew on that tree in that garden plucking it off, and then they are left with that uh, dead thing they're calling the knowledge of good and evil. And they're internalizing that dead thing. And they're calling it the spirit of the living God. They choose away from the relationship And they choose something that they can control, which necessarily is that which is dead. Because the kind of life that they sought to understand and that they had in that intimacy, in that relationship with God, is completely out of their control. So, Advent is the time of preparation, right, for the birth of the celebration of the incarnation of God, 
this birth of God into the world, God entering history as the Christ child, but then also it's a looking forward to and a celebration of Christ returning at the end of all time. And this season is a preparation for that. I mean, it's almost like trying to find the meaning of, uh, you know, uh, streets with no names. Or, uh, I mean, how do you prepare for such a thing? This coming of the Christ child, God, into, into history and this concluding of the end times of unmediated, pure relationship with God. How do you prepare for such a thing? Well, you know, in recent tradition, one prepares, right? As we talked about, we have our traditions uh, for these sorts of things. We have a wreath, you know, with candles on it. Uh, normally, it's a circle of evergreens. We got that there. And the circle is, symbolizes the eternal nature of God. The evergreen symbolizes the, um, you know, evergreenness of God. Um, and the candles, in general, they symbolize the light of Christ coming into the world. It's great. And the lighting of these candles symbolizes our prayer of preparation. Then each of these four candles, they have their own meaning, right? They represent these things that, uh, these things about God coming into the world, like hope and peace, and to mention joy, and then, you know, one other thing. Um, or uh, they also represent, like, the participants at, that were there at uh, Jesus' birth. Um, which like, uh, that's the, like the shepherds and, you know, the wise guys and, uh, and the angels and, you know, probably one other. <laughs> so this, during this year of spiritual practice, I've been thinking about this a bunch of different ways. And I thought maybe in the beginning, in this Advent time, Maybe we might, instead of thinking about what we might do to prepare for this Advent, this coming, maybe that we could meditate on the things that we can undo in preparation for the coming of God into the world and God returning when uh, there will be no pain, there will be no suffering. Uh, God's radical mercy will break out everywhere. That all those things that have been strangled, pulled, flayed, controlled, and nailed up on the wall or put in our feet or folded up and put in our pocket, all those things will be swept back into life. I don't really know that much about spiritual practice. I've kind of had a regular spiritual practice for maybe like seven years now. And it kind of moves around. But one thing I have found is that it's worthwhile to stop once a day, five times a day, and acknowledge that my will will not be done to acknowledge that I do not have the ability 
to measure people's goodness or naughtiness or even my own. But we can sit and hope that there's something beyond our control that will gather up all the things that we have made dead and give them new life. And I think that process is called joy.